Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on a little nonprofit news feed brought to you by Whole Whale. Well, <laughs> Something interesting came up where after nine years, it was found in this New York Times investigation that nearly 89 million uh, may have been sort of uh, misdirected, we'll say, but maybe worse uh, from potential donors. Nick, how's it going? It's going great, George. Awesome to see you. And I'm excited for this story because this is just kind of like textbook skirting the law kind of breaking the law, kind of not really, but here's the situation. So a New York Times investigation over the weekend found that nearly $89 million were raised via a robocall self-enriching scheme. Now, here's how it happened. The New York Times found that a circle of conservative nonprofits advocating for causes loosely related to veterans and police in cahoots with consultants and a series of shell companies together formed what the Times posited was a self-enrichment scheme. So these organizations raised $89 million, um, however, only spent 826000 of those dollars going to the actual campaigns of these five nonprofits. The rest, or a large majority of the rest, were poured back into these robocall companies that, in essence, were in cahoots with the nonprofits they were fundraising. So it would seem through these networks um, that they kind of created this grassroots money-making machine where the robocall, uh, you know, fundraising consultants were getting a ton of the money they were, in fact, raising. So this detailed investigation zeroed in on three Republican political consultants in particular, who together appeared to be the glue that kept this machine going. The organizations in question were not actually 501c3s, they are IRS 527 groups, which is a different uh, classification under tax code and also has to do with election law about like political work. But they did have a responsibility to file with the IRS. So we have basically this like feedback loop enriching scheme. George, you and I were talking before the call. Is this legal? Is this illegal? At very least, it was certainly deceptive to the consumers, essentially, you know, lying about what the, the true intentions of the fundraising was. But the, the Times also featured the actual audio um, of the robocalls, which is worth listening to. They sound really human-like. So, George, after we talk about this case, I think there is a case to be made about discussing about a potential risk of AI supercharged robocalling and what that means for instances like this. So, George, what are your thoughts? Uh, First, I have to point out that that was two cahoots that you used in the description of this, which is not usually uh, our our thresholds usually one. So this is high alert. All right. I just want to go through some top line points for organizations listening. The names, I want you to listen to the names of the nonprofits that they created. And this was since 2014. So this hustle has been going on for nine years, allegedly. I like that word. American Police Officers Alliance, Firefighters and EMS Fund, National Police Support Fund, American Veterans 
Honor Fund, Veterans Action Network. I think every time we talk about how you have to sort of defend your digital footprint, especially if your name is official, you are an official organization, you are official sounding because you are official, the danger there are the types of parasitic organizations that are out there living off of the edges of your brand and messaging to donors. I think this is interesting because it kind of takes the Dan Pallada narrative of the overhead myth, right? And in that famous TED talk, he talks about how, well, wait a minute, if I have a nonprofit and I'm spending 50% on fundraising, but I'm able to raise 10 times as much towards a cause, isn't that a good thing? I think this takes it to a narrative extreme, which should be addressed because as far as I can see it, like they actually are technically fine with regard to their public directive was to actually, in essence, have these robocalls, conversations with voters to bring up issues, to bring up issues that are relevant to upcoming elections. But by the way, those robocalls were also fundraising calls. So look, if it's for the public good, you could see in one narrative and like there is even possibly a world where they're believing in themselves and their own narrative being like, absolutely. You know, we've got this beautiful self-fulfilling cycle because robocalls are good. We're bringing up the topic of American police officers. Where it goes a little sideways, aside from the fact that, you know, 95 plus percent was spent uh, in the same organizations that they were also running on the for-profit side, they technically didn't have to bid that out because they weren't receiving federal funds. But the, the problem where this goes awry is a little bit in the consumer protection area. And for nonprofits and that designation, it's the donor intent problem. And so if the donors were led to believe that those dollars were actually going to support programmatic, meaning direct dollars to veterans, police, EMS, firefighters, that's a violation, actually, of donor intent. And that actually can be subject to legal action. What's interesting is there's a lot of small donors here. So I, I'll dollar bet you, Nick, that we will be maybe covering a class action suit because some lawyer out there is figuring this out right now. I'll, I'll say that. The other thing that, that stuck in my craw on this one, Nick, this uh, you may not see this coming, but what really got me is that yes, they're using AI voices and things that can be trained. And by the way, we'll be talking a little bit about that in the future. So this can only scale from here. You know what gets me, Nick, about this? They're misusing dad jokes. They're using dad jokes for evil, Nick. And I don't like it. Carla? Finally, it's good to hear a kind voice. That last call was tougher on me than my mother-in-law's meatloaf. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I don't like it one bit. Dad jokes are meant for happiness and the purity of puns. And I just don't, I can't support this. No, George, you're absolutely right. It's a deep betrayal of what it means to be a dad joke enthusiast. And you can almost see the social engineering of it. And George, oh, you and I are not so like self-avowed conservatives like but but at the same time you can't help but feel a little bit bad <laughs> i don't think we for, hide that. i don't think we hide we don't we don't hide that but you can't help but feel bad that like these are small dollar donors that they're going after and you can just think of the profile like george i'm sure you and i have family members who like have been duped by you know scam phone calls or 
phishing attacks. There's just a lower level of kind of uh, guardedness when it comes to these kind of scams. And that's that's really sad how, how deceptive this is to the, and the people that it was uh, affected. And I would say that, you know, we talk about this, but I would argue it's not actually a victimless crime, right? People, a lot of people were taken advantage of here. So I'll just, I'll just add that in. It makes it a little bit, a little bit more sad, I would say. I would also, if you were at a nonprofit that's currently engaging in this type of donor calling, robocalling type of solution, I always think it's interesting to consider who's to the left and right of you. And if you look to the left and right of you and you see scams, if you see people taking advantage of folks over the phone, I would question the approach because if you know, if you're in the same room as bad company, you're not that far away from tarnishing your brand. Yeah, George, I think that's exactly right, especially as more and more Americans are kind of, again, it seems here a lot of them are taken advantage of, but are going to become less trustful of cold call fundraising that sort of thing. Those are important narratives to pick Look, up. Look, I still on. think there's a long there's a long road of there's a long road of calling for fundraising and I think there are right ways to to do this. We're entering into, you know, the largest generation of boomers moving into uh, an age where frankly they may still be the last generation to answer the phone at the frequency of, you know, profitability for these endeavors. So, I think there's, you know, still a world where where this be you know continues for sure because as long as there's a dollar to be made you know to say that like that's the only one doing this is you know probably a naive thought so I you know I, uh, I I'm curious I I'm, I'm willing to change my mind about responsible phone banking I think that's fine but I get I just something about it is like when you let the robots get after it. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because I'm, I'm like one side I'm about to like convince you to use AI and I'm like, AI is all good all the time. But like this is bad. And I, I, you know it when you see it. And that is a bad use of AI. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's right. And this is a whole other conversation. But I think it's important kind of pulling apart what you were saying. Just if you're a nonprofit to focus on trust, what are ways that you can build trust? People are more likely to trust people than robots. And as of now, they still might be able to tell. And the moment that you cannot tell you're not talking to a robot or vice versa, uh, that's going to be a challenging moment for us as a society. Um, and I think we're going to have to have lots of conversations about just digital security more generally when it becomes harder to distinguish robots from people. Um, and we're getting close. But uh, yeah, I think this has absolutely been fruitful conversation. George, I want to take us into our next story. This is one that we've been following a little bit. We had kind of a primer on this a couple months ago with some news, um, but now the FDA has formally announced um, that they are easing the ban on blood donations from gay and bisexual men. So the FDA made the announcement on Thursday, as per the New York Times, that it had, quote, formally ended the agency's wide-ranging prohibition on blood donations from gay and bisexual men. Um, and it still instead focuses on a questionnaire about more generic sexual activity 
uh, number of sexual partners, that sort of thing. So this revised policy would also preclude blood donations for people taking oral PrEP to prevent HIV infection, a restriction the agency said was designed to avoid false negative results during blood screening. So there's, there's some caveats kind of here and there, but broadly speaking, this is a really, really welcome reversal of, quite frankly, I would go so far as to say a discriminatory policy. Yes, I think this is a great step forward. I think it's important to note some of the background on on PrEP uh, being criticized and understanding of PrEP, you know, is something that we actually work a lot on for how it uh, it, it helps, frankly, save lives uh, with people uh, with, with HIV and reducing the spread of HIV. So uh, it's a good step forward in terms of the fact that, like, look, we are constantly facing various blood shortages throughout the year around disasters and there are great organizations working on it. So if you just simply increase the pool of eligible people, you're helping the the net positive health out, health outcomes uh, of folks in our country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly welcome news. But to your point, um, some advocacy organizations have criticized that, that caveat with, uh, with PrEP via HIV transmission. But something we'll continue to continue to follow. But uh, George, as you know, we are in a national blood donation shortage, emergency, et cetera. So as you say, widening the pool, uh, really, really important. All right, I'll take us into, <laughs> oh boy, I'll take us into our next one. Uh, this one comes from uh, Hard Hitting Insider, and <laughs> the headline is this, is Elon Musk <laughs> defends Mr. Beast against criticism for helping deaf people. George, this just ticks all of the like, all of the all of the whistles in our uh, our more kind of pop culture uh, <laughs> uh, takes on this podcast. Yeah, look, Mr. Beast is going to continue to create, uh, you know, as sometimes dubbed philanthropy porn, where he helps a certain audience with a certain ailment and creates a video that then goes on to get tens, if not hundreds, of millions of views, which he then monetizes but at the same token is also performing that. So in this case, you know, he started with the curing blindness. Now he's up to, you can guess, you know, the cutting edge hearing technology that they're offering for, they helped a thousand folks from both the U.S. and across the globe. And, you know, Elon Musk comes out, definitely shouldn't be attacked for doing good. Is it really just a question of money to restore hearing, uh, tweets Musk? I think it, uh, as per usual, lacks incredible amounts of nuance, uh, but that's not exactly uh, his specialty. You know, when you ro- launch giant rockets and, you know, you, you focus on macro pictures, you forget the nuance that, you know, we brought up before of saying like how you, you, you effectively are monetizing and generating revenue from this. I, you know, I'm of two minds. I love having this conversation. We've had folks on to debate if there are other people out there. You know, he does, again, this time it seems have gone with actual donations to on-the-ground organizations dealing with uh, hearing and also, in this case, made a donation uh, to sign language organizations, which I thought was important looking at the in full spectrum of the issue. So, you know, somewhere, somehow, I do think their team is learning as they go. Each one still though follows this script of here's an audience of stakeholder that can't afford this this change and we're you know we're we're going to record them but you know they uh certainly get a benefit but are also providing a value it's certainly not robocalling right like we're way far off of that and i don't know what do you think about this nick 
I, I think it's nuanced. I think helping people can be intrinsically good, even if there are secondary effects. My personal thought on this is that, as I think we've talked in, in a previous podcast, is helping people is okay, even if it makes content. However, the portrayal of those people is really, really vital, right? So some points of contention I've had with Mr. Beast's videos in the past, where his last hearing aid video, in like the last 30 seconds of the video, he's like, hey, we're taking generosity to Africa. And then suddenly Mr. Beast is in a country, you know, surrounded by Africans who may or may not have heard of him. He's certainly never met before, probably a country he's never been to. And that takes up 30 seconds of the video. And, you know, and then we kind of come back to America. I think that that framing is really problematic and one that nonprofit communication professionals, particularly in the international development and humanitarian response uh, NGO communities are very sensitive to. So that's where I kind of draw the line. And this goes from, from good to potentially problematic. But I think I think it's nuanced. I'll also add that this is absolutely Elon Musk's like green level spiciness. That 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 man's been quite quite the roller coaster over the past couple of weeks. If this is if this is all the drama he's trying to involve himself with, power to him. Uh, <laughs> that man's uh and on quite a run. Yeah. I mean, I think one one piece in here also, uh, which was an opinion piece written by a journalist who's deaf uh, named Liam O'Dell and the Independent, quote, uh, there is nothing in Mr. Beast's video which acknowledges the fluctuating relationship with deaf people uh, that uh, have with hearing and listening. And so, you know, I think in a, you know, eight to 10 minute video, you, you lose nuance. And while you do bring awareness to the issue, uh, critics have also said that like it was portrayed as though hearing aids completely resolve and restore hearing for people that are, uh, hard of hearing. And that is factually inaccurate, but again, you have 10 minutes and you're going to lose nuance. Absolutely. I agree. All right, I can take us into our next story. And this one comes from Reporters Without Borders. And this is their 2023 World Press Freedom Index, in which they kind of index countries based on press freedom. There are some other um, NGOs that do similar things like Freedom House and others. But we're focusing on the RWB report, Reporters Without uh, Borders report, where they cite that journalism is threatened by the fake content industry. So they rank countries essentially on, uh, you know, how uh, 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 productive is the journalism sector? Is it is it free? Is it is it is it fair? Um, are, are journalists allowed to, to report without, uh, you know, persecution, etc. Um, and they find that in a lot of places, journalism freedom or freedom of the press is infringed not only by government policy, but also by uh, mis and disinformation as the result of kind of rapid dissemination of fake news. And I think, George, it's important for us to remember um, that as Americans, we kind of live in one of the most robust news ecosystems on planet Earth. 
very, very few countries have the kind of uh, history and journalism infrastructure that we do here in the States, you know, the fourth estate of checking our government and so forth. And even here, <laughs> we're struggling with uh, fake news, myths, and disinformation. So uh, this report just kind of highlights that these problems are really, really uh, kind of vast um, in other parts of the world as well. And I think uh, dovetails with our conversation on AI that keeps on coming up. And sorry to our listeners, Will, for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, but George, what's your take on this? I think it's an objective look at censorship that is really helpful to see. And they have great details on how the index was reported. And this is the uh, Reporters Without Borders, rsf.org. I encourage you to look at it and review it to get sort of an objective look, noting that you know, the the Americas uh, no longer have any country colored green is interesting. Uh, but to, to really understand the role of a uh, free and fair press is incredibly valuable. And one that I think is, and I pulled this up because I think we're just going to see increase in volume of what's possible for mis and disinformation at scale created by small players. The truth is I can now get a large language model locally onto my local computer. So there's no oversight in what I'm creating. Uh, I can I can do that now. And I could have it run 24-7 posting things to create real-ish looking content with the, the seeds that could persuade uh, people one direction or another uh, and destabilize things. So we are we are in a pendulum swing toward a, a dangerous place. And I'm hoping and waiting and watching for the countermeasures that are going to come uh, aside from the general, frankly, uh, inoculation of the public, which is hard earned because it has to do with people in mass getting confused, misled, and then finally over a generation moving through it. But I don't like to see America drop in this, uh, in this rating. No, George, it's, it's concerning. And I think you bring up good points. Um, and you talk about potential uh, solutions. And I think what you mean by that is essentially international, national, independent, etc. regulatory guiding agencies, commissions, etc. some kind of uh, accountability infrastructure. And also nonprofit we are seeing news, this right? It's, it's, it's going to be mm -hmm. a public interest. Right. Right. That public interest, as we're talking about, if your directive is free, fair press in the country of your origin, then, you know, that is absolutely maybe a, a cause that more so than ever will get support and attention. Um, but I think there's a reason why uh, that that nonprofit angle <clears throat> is one that we see we cover uh, and I like to watch. Uh, I want to note because last week we talked about a little hey, what's going to happen when chat first comes up? Remember, chat first search is the new version of how people might find information, two types of the broad types of search out there in the world. One is information, one is transaction. I want to do a thing, I want to learn a thing. Now, with regard to that, BARD, which is Google's LLM, large language model, BARD has been rolled out into beta, but it's a public beta, which means that anyone can go to bard.google.com, bard.google.com, and frankly see how the, the initial start of chat first search will work by the largest search engine on the internet. And I, uh, 
I'm a little concerned so far with it because it is trying to do a lot more answering of questions than referencing. So when I was comparing them, and I've, I've talked about it, and we try to summarize all of this at wholewhale.com slash AI, the evolving nature of how nonprofits are going to have to prepare for a potential drop in organic traffic, as well as potential threats to the Google ad grant, the free 10K a month that you get. Uh, there's some scary implications of what I'm seeing with BARD. And I think it's important that your team, your comms team, uh, your tech team does some searches with this around the most popular terms that bring traffic to your site. I think it's critically important. You see what is coming and and begin to try to adjust for it. We have strategies for it, but that's, that's a bit of homework on that. Yeah, George, I think that's a great point. We can link to the public beta for Google's Bard in the show notes on this podcast. Your organization has to understand how the public is now going to be interfacing with these tools and via these tools, your nonprofit's mission per your 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 thing there. So again, we uh, will send people to wholewheel.com slash AI, where you can read more about this and see all of our excellent resources on nonprofits and AI, how this impacts search, the ad grant, et cetera. Tons of great stuff there. And yeah, thanks for sharing, George. But man, this stuff's moving fast. Yeah. It was one week later. I was like, well, there it is, public. Uh, what what do you have for feel-good story, Nick? George, I got a great feel-good story for you. This one comes from southeastern North Carolina, where one person can adopt a rubber duck and enter to win a chance at a Hawaii vacation or a ticket to Taylor Swift's sold-out era's tour in this eighth annual nonprofits fundraiser. Uh, so the nonprofit Coastal Horizons is ho hosting its Coastal Duck Derby on Friday, uh, May 19th, this Friday, at Jungle Rapids. Rubber ducks will race down a slide at the water park through a lazy river, and proceeds for the rubber duck race uh, support the crisis intervention services of Coastal Horizons, including its Rape Crisis Center, Open House Youth Shelter, Transitional Living Program, and Maternity Housing Program. So we're... This is just an awesome fundraiser. Race those ducks, helping at-risk folks uh, in North Carolina. We love to see it. Tis the summer. Tis the season for duck racing. Oh, I also like that they just have a complete page for it, the coastalduckderby.com, uh, where you can adopt, uh, adopt a duck. And I, I think they're doing a lot of things right for, for this fundraiser. And actually, if you look into it, like you can go. So here's like the tool. Uh, you can go to <laughs> unpaid sponsor here, duckrace.com to basically run and set up your own duck race for, for a cause. I think it's a good summer activity. Who doesn't love a good duck race? So uh, I, I, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a market out there for duck racing. I feel like maybe we should do like a whale racing one. It could be a subsidiary of a whale, whale race. Although the ducks are so cute and yellow. Oh, All right. The ducks are cute. Nick, I, <laughs> Nick, I got a, got a question for you. And I want to I wanna disclose that this is a positive, publicly good use of dad jokes. So here we go. Uh, why did the nonprofit Climate Change Cafe get a poor health code grade rating? <laughs> climate change cafe 
Yeah, it was a climate change cafe. You know, it's like a, one of the for-profit uh, activities for social impact. But they got one of those oh, bad okay. health grades from 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 like New York. You know, like in the window. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Uh, why? Uh, it was at sea level. I see. I see. I get it. Yeah. I see it now. It's a good one. I, uh, I I think the joke's only better the longer you have to explain it. So I think that's a good one. All right, Nick. See you out there. If you've watched this far, like, subscribe, because that's what people on the internet ask for. Amazing. See ya. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.